we are in uh, chapter 12 tonight. Um, totally skipped chapter 11, um, <clears throat> and that is by design, only because we're, we're in the 10-week series. If this series, for me, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, I truly could go about 20 or 24, but I don't want to be the only one here, uh, just kind of hanging out with, you know, about two of you, but so I, we kind of narrowed it down. Chapter 11 was so hard for me to skip because it is so, so good how uh, you don't want to put all your eggs into one basket. It teaches about embracing the journey God has you on, but for the sake of the study as a whole and looking at it from all 12 chapters, I believe uh, we need to be in chapter 12 tonight. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke through it because you, you know I will. And actually, I heard through the grapevine, y'all call me Tornado Duma. I didn't know that that was a thing, but uh, anyway. Um, so we'll smoke through Tornado Duma chapter 12. And then uh, what I would like to do tonight is once we get through it, there's a main phrase that Solomon says at the end of the chapter. And then at your tables talking about what that means for us practically. You know, there's, there's all these things that we will say in church sometimes, and once you're around long enough, what I've learned is you can learn what the phrase is, and you can say the phrase, but you never truly know what the phrase means, right? So sometimes you can just, whether it's, yeah, sanctification, or, you know, really, you know, you'll say these really churchy words, and then someone will say, hey, what, what is that? And you're like, I don't know. Everybody just says it. it was good. I heard a guy pray one time, and he said it, and I was like, that's how I need to pray. And you don't really know. So anyway, uh, there's, there's my tangent. But tonight, Solomon is helping us with the purpose of life. He truly is. The purpose of life, and we'll, we'll kind of always come back to these types of conversations about purpose because we don't want you, and I don't want to live an empty life. But for a lot of you, if you can look back over uh, maybe the past year or the past five years or maybe ten years of your life, you can remember when you had seasons of purpose. Maybe it was when you were on a, on a missions trip. Maybe it was when you were in a certain season with your kids or before your kids or now after your kids. There's certain seasons that maybe you felt were more purposeful that it had more meaning to it, that it wasn't empty. And that's what I was talking about in Colossians 2. A, a, an appearance of wisdom, Colossians 2 would say, is empty. It is self-made religion, that it has no substance to it. And Solomon, th this whole book, as we've talked in chapters 1 to chapter 10, in the overarching idea of him saying, meaningless, meaningless, it's vanity, it's pointless, and it's truly sad. Right? The guy gets to the end of his life, and the only thing that he really was trying to communicate is how meaningless and pointless and purposeless his life was. Right? We said early on, get this guy a buddy to take him to Woody's. Like, get him a hug, get him a gift card, take him to the hardware, let him pick out some tools, something. Get this guy a good friend, or someone take him hunting, I don't know. Right? Because he's, he's sad. He said, and sometimes lessons, lessons are learned by someone else's mistakes, if you're really wise. A foolish person laughs at someone's mistakes while they make the same one. A wise person can see it and say, I'm probably going to make some similar mistakes, but what do I need to do to protect myself? 
It's having the foresight of saying, ah, I need to make a correction here. I need to see some mistakes here. And a lot of times, even, even after I look over this past year, after looking at 2020, which has been one heck of a year, has it not? I mean, just absolute, we had, I mean, just, okay, we could talk for a while about 2020, but as I look back, I could say, even in the year, there was times where I really felt like I was doing things on purpose for God, and there was times that I would just drift a little bit. And then it'd be week two or week three, and I was like, man, I just kind of went through the motions. Going through the motions, right, which we all do, maybe you're in it tonight, you're just kind of going through things, you get to the end of it, and you're kind of like, I didn't really accomplish anything. I didn't really do anything for God, didn't do anything to benefit my family, didn't do anything really, maybe you did it for yourself, but you were just kind of just there. And Solomon, I believe, is truly, truly trying to help us tonight. And my, and, and he's teaching this idea of purpose being fulfilled. And so tonight in chapter 12, I'm going to work through this. I'm going to read uh, the first eight. And the first point I have tonight is my purpose is fulfilled when this life is over. All right, chapter 12, verse 1. Man, I love Ecclesiastes so much. It says in verse 1, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Let me talk for a second. He says, when you're really young, okay, maybe for a lot of you, I'm really young. You look at me and you're like, man, he's still wet. Like behind the ears, he barely walking. He's like a horse. Like you can't. You look at someone really young and you say, remember the days of your youth, because the evil days are coming. And he's gonna say the evil days, and and this is Solomon. So don't you get mad at me. The evil days are when you get old, and you start to not be able to do certain things. You know you're old, right? That's why the, the, the volume is really loud because I'm screaming because you can't hear. Uh, you know you get really old. And here's an indicator. Anytime someone is teaching and they're, they're older, uh, they'll always bring up resurrected bodies, right? And they'll be like, guys, it's just, aren't we excited for it? Like a lot of you guys, don't we get hurt just, just sleeping? When you get injured and you're sleeping, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, injured? What do you mean you're injured? You know, your back's broke. You're like, oh, I slept on it wrong. That means you're old. Anyway, Solomon is talking about this. He says this, verse 2. Listen, I know the day's coming. The day is coming. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars darken and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim. This is what he is saying. Age, age will creep up on you or me like a rainstorm. Amen. Like a darkened cloud. Man, maybe this is the night. Man, you guys are like, oh, this one. Uh, it creeps up on you like a rainstorm and a cloud that is coming and you cannot escape it, can you not? You just can't escape it. You start to, you start to feel things. And he's, he's going to get really specific here and super helpful. He says this, verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. All the daughters of songs are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, 
the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because men, man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God. Who gave it? Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. So let's chat. He doesn't, and, and I could get into all of the grass. What's a grasshopper have to do with this? Why are we talking about a bowl, you know, the, the grinding wheel, all these things? Here's what he is saying. Eventually, your arm stops to work. And eventually, your legs stop to work like they used to. And eventually, desire fails, and you decay away. That you're not as energetic as you were in your 30s. That you're not as strong as you were as you were in your 20s. You're not, and even though I think I will be, and I have no idea what that will feel like, it will happen to me. It's like a rainstorm coming away. And this is what he says, each man goes to where? His eternal home. And is that not what a lot of you long for? To where desire is restored. It was two Sundays ago. I was helping out at door A. Uh, when pe getting people in the door, we had umbrellas and we were taking them back and forth. It's raining, the whole deal. And uh, I don't remember his name. I know who he is. I see him all the time. He pulls up into the, the, the to door A, I run out there with an umbrella, and he gets the wheelchair out, right, because she needs a wheelchair to get in, um, and as we're doing this, he's trying to get her into the wheelchair, and for me, I, I haven't done a lot of, like, I mean, I've helped, but I, I'm not, I ain't no professional, like, I'm just like, tell me what to do, and I mean, both of them extremely old. I mean, it's, it's cold two Sundays ago, it's raining, I'm kind of like, man, they, they showed up to church, like, I mean, this is impressive. And he's like, try, we're trying to get her into the wheelchair, he can't get her into the wheelchair, right? So he's, he's trying to pick her up, can't pick her up, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like really impressed, I'm like, who helped you get here? And so I said, you know, we're trying to get her in, so he can't. So I was like, hey, I got it, like, scoot out. So I, I went in there, I bear hugged her. You know, we got super close. I picked her up, put her in the wheelchair, set her down, and, and she is just ecstatic to be at church. And I said to her, and I said, have you ever heard of a live stream? Uh, she said, no, never heard of a live stream. And she's excited to be here, and I felt the need to say this to her because we're doing this series on heaven in our college group in here on Wednesday nights. I looked at her, and I said, you know what's exciting? I said, when we get to heaven, we ain't got to do any of this. You know what she said to me? I hope not. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, no, we won't, we won't. But all that to say, right, as I was engaged in that moment to where I was just super impressed they were here, attitudes were great, all this stuff going on, bodies decaying away, Lord willing, I'll be there one day and some young tornado will come help us and get in a wheelchair and the whole deal. But as man is going to his eternal home, Solomon says, as our bodies are wasting away, man, all is vanity. All is vanity. The purpose of my life is fulfilled when this one is over. When this life ends, in a sense. It's in Genesis 2, 
7, if you'll pull it up for me, when it says at the end, as man breathes out, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, just as God breathes into man. We inhale when our life starts, and we exhale when it is over. And it is like what? Dust. So fast. Don't invest too much into this. And this idea for for us is so hard to imagine that eternity, eternity is not the end, it's the beginning. When he says man is is going to his eternal home, he asks the same question in chapter 3, verse 20, when he is saying that there are two places. The beast either goes up or he goes down. He goes to heaven or he goes to Sheol. Every single one of us, every single one of us, when we die, as the point of man wants to die, then, then comes judgment. We will face God, and he will either enter us in, usher us into our eternal home. That I hopefully, hopefully, I have something to show for my eternal rewards, or we will be rejected by him. And if we have a relationship with Christ, what will he do? He will usher us in. That if I've accepted Christ as my Savior, right, in two weeks we get to celebrate baptisms. And I am so excited. I just got done doing some tonight, some videos tonight. Super excited. People who have an eternal home in heaven. My life is fulfilled or my purpose is fulfilled when this one is over. Why am I saying this about purpose? Because when my purpose is totally invested here, it will always leave me empty. Every single time. Even if it's a good thing. If it's something that God likes or he creates, if it's marriage, if it's work, if I misplace all of my energy into that, the purpose will always be a bucket of holes. So I have to remind myself it is directed back toward God. I got to finish this. Um, Number two, when uh, my purpose purpose in life is fulfilled when I fear God and do what he says, we're going to get super deep. It's a joke. You can laugh. Verse 9, besides being wise, so set wisdom aside, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. First uh, Kings chapter 4 verse 32, uh, 4,000 or 3,000 proverbs he wrote, 4,000 different songs, different things that he accumulated and they worked them into all of his writings, which is some of the Psalms. Uh, most of the Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the Hebrew sex manual, uh, Song of Solomon. We should preach through Song of Solomon verse by verse in here. That would be wild. Anyway, uh, where am I at? Verse uh, 10. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. What's a goad? <clears throat> um, we grew up, uh, I grew up, on a farm somewhere, we had a butcher shop and there'd be cattle. A goad, you would have a stick uh, to steer the, the cattle or the, the pigs in the direction you wanted them to go, right? You would hit them this way or hit them this way. You know what I'm talking about. It's a goad. It's a stick. It's a rod. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. It's like a rod and you don't beat someone with a rod. The words of the wise are guiding. They guide. They don't demand, 
They don't yell. They don't scream. They guide. And like nails firmly fixed are the collection saying, they are given by one shepherd. Who is our one shepherd? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. For you are what? With me. He is teaching right now, as all of us, even as men, in your family and in your workplaces, don't people look to you for advice? They look to you for direction. Some of you, you don't even like that. You're like, I don't want to, no, no, no. You'll, you'll kind of, or you, maybe you make something up. You're kind of like, I don't want to give too much advice. You don't want responsibility like that. But people will look to you. And as they look to you, Solomon is teaching you and I have one shepherd. And it is not me. My one shepherd is Christ. The ultimate shepherd. He says, and, and uh, let, me, let me finish here. One shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of flesh. Have you ever felt that? Seeking after God. He's not teaching us to not study. He's saying this. Once you have found your one shepherd and you have sought after the Lord and you have you know him as your savior when we seek after many things in a, an accumulation of research and study to put things to the test he's saying that is a much weariness to our soul right Research is good. We don't, we don't have to be mentally ignorant that we can have a faith rooted in facts and historical facts and true. But a lot of times I got to put away the 500 news stations we listen to, the 19 papers you read, the 25 subscriptions that you get in emails, and taking everything in. Information will drain you, will it not? How many of you? How many of you, during the COVID, when it first came out, you had to stop watching the news? Raise your hand. My wife came home one night. We were home. She looked at me and said, hey, you have two options. My wife is not. She doesn't get firm with me often. When she does, I'm like, I'm screwed. Like, I'm in trouble. She says to me this, you can either stop watching the news or we can hang out if you watch the news, I got I to gotta go hang out with my friends. I'm leaving. I, don't, I mean, this is ridiculous. Because as I watched it, what did it do? Weariness to my soul. In a much studying and researching and all these things, he's saying, you have one shepherd. Verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, here's what I would like to do. <clears throat> I want to talk about fearing God. Fearing God, like I said, is a church word that sometimes we'll th throw around. I want to talk about what it really means in my life. How do I know if I'm fearing God? And what does the Bible say? So the first thing is this. Why should I fear God? Or why should you fear God? 
As it said in verse 12, he'll bring everything into light. I should fear God because in Psalm 90 verse 8, it says this, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. I should fear God because he knows everything about me. Like even the stuff I don't want anyone to know. Like the stuff that I don't want anyone to anyone to think about that I've ever thought about or ever thought about doing. Thinking about doing, he knows. He knows everything. He sees all of it. That's why I should fear God. Now, who do we typically fear? It says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of what? Man is a trap. You and I are driven by fear. It is a motivator for us. Solomon, I believe, I believe, this is a little bit of conjecture just from the book. I believe Solomon got to the end of his life and he said, I feared two things. The first one was the approval or rejection from man. It was a motivator for him. It it is what made him so successful, right? God giving it to him, but driving and building and gaining and marrying and all these things. It was the approval or rejection from other. It was other people that they could see him. I believe he feared other people. And secondly, I believe he feared the perception that he would not measure up to his father, David. I believe the fear of man is a trap. And it drove him. And he said at the end, if I could say one thing to you, one last charge, fear God. Fear him. Don't fear myself. Don't fear my neighbor. And what is fear, right? What is fear? Why? Lack of faith, maybe lack of faith. When When fear for you and I, what it does is it does two different things at least for me. The first thing fear will do for me is it will paralyze me. It'll make me feel like I can't move. Because if I fear the wrong person or thing, if I make the wrong choice, then I'll lose their approval or praise, right? So I don't want to make the wrong choice, because then if I fear my wife or if I fear this person and I don't do what they want, they'll be upset with me. I won't be fearing God, I'll be fearing someone else. It's a paralyzer. And I also believe fear is something that you and I medicate with. When we, yes, medicate. So when you suppress something or you hide from something, when we fear, when we get under something that feels good to us, so someone gives us praise, I will instantly learn to fear from that person. So if I, fear, if I fear my boss, right, and what they can give me or what they can't give me, when I learn and it's, it, I medicate with it, I'm almost connected to it. It is an IV to me that, God's, that fearing God is not something I'm connected to, but rather what someone else can give me because I fear them. I medicate with it. I'm drawn towards it. It is connected to. That is why we should fear the fear of the Lord because he sees everything. And number two, what does it produce? I could do a whole series. I could do five, eight weeks on fearing the Lord. What does it produce? In Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good, what? Understanding. It produces understanding. Proverbs 8, 
13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. When I fear God, it helps me to learn to hate what he hates and love what he loves. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence in him. This one's not up there, but Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life that it gives life to us, that fearing God, fearing God, does it mean I should be scared of God? What does fearing God mean? Does it mean I just respect him or I should tremble? You guys are nervous, because ah, right? <clears throat> I think there, there's, two, there's two aspects of this. How do we fear God? It says this in Revelation 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now that sounds to me like he's scared. Right? John, the Apostle John, sees God. And this guy falls on his face. We could look at Isaiah. We could look at Ezekiel. We could look at Moses. We could look at Abraham. These guys approach God, fall on their face as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and, and Hades. Fear, I believe fear in God, how we do it is this. It is submission that leads to action and confidence in him. I believe fear in God, as we see biblically, it initially, initially causes men to fall on their face. But as we come through Christ, he says, fear not. Why do we fear not? We don't fear or don't have to fear because I have a relationship with Christ. It says in Hebrews, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God, but not for me. Because if Christ has gone to the cross for me, it's not a terrifying thing for me to fall into the hands of a living God because I know Christ. So for me, my fear of God is submission that leads to obedience and confidence in him and what he's called me to do. Leads to respecting him, yes. But how do I fear God? God, what do you want me to do? Fearing God simply, I believe, is obedience. I, I fear him more than whatever, whatever pressures are on me from someone else, whatever is put before me by someone else, or whatever I have put someone else. If I fear man, I want to do what they say, but when I fear God, I want to be obedient to him. And I believe all of you would agree with this last phrase. Fearing God is a lifelong journey. There are probably seasons in your life where you drift, right? You'll have maybe a good season where you will say, I was truly dependent on the Lord and I feared the Lord. And maybe there'll be seasons when you say, eh, I kind of drifted a little bit here. It is, it's, a, it's nothing that I can put on the box and say, yeah, I got that one. That one's done. Like, I feared him. Like, we, we, we nailed that down when I was 21. No, it is something that we constantly go back to. Why? Because I'm involved. If it was just up to him, right, then, it, then we would all instantly fear him. But the problem is that I'm involved. And when I'm involved, I will naturally drift just a little bit. And it's like a pendulum. And I'll have to swing back in and remind myself. It's a lifelong battle. I wish I could spend more time 
on this, but it says in Genesis 22, 12, after Abraham offered his son Isaac on the altar, he said, God approaches, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son. In Genesis 20, verse 11, <clears throat> Abraham said when he was not obeying God for 25 years in that time frame, verse 2011, he says, I saw no fear of God in this place. And for him, it led him to not fear the Lord. And then when he goes to finally in Genesis 22, verse 1, the Lord tested Abraham. And at the end of it, the key phrase was, now I know you fear God. When I fear God and when you fear God, it leads to obedience. It leads to God, no matter how weird this sounds to me, no matter how absurd this sounds to everyone else, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. No matter what this looks like, no matter what it costs me, no matter how awkward this is, I'm going to do whatever you say. For Abraham, he just said, tell me what to do. Here I am, Lord. I'm your servant. God tested him. Now I know you fear God. And then probably my favorite Old Testament passage, 2 Chronicles 25, it says, or 26, 5, it says this, uh, talking about Uzziah. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord, fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. If I had time, we'd look at the chapter, and this guy just goes on an absolute tear. He's successful, he's building stuff, he's reigning, he's ruling. And in his young days, he took over at 16, he had sought the Lord and feared God. Everything he touched was successful. But for Uzziah, something happens that happens to a lot of people. In verse 16, it says this, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For us, Maybe for you, there's someone that you have seen where they started off really well. Started to fear the Lord, and then something happened. There was some pressure that was put on, right? Something happened in the relationships, in their life, and then it, it pulled them away from it, and then it was revealed, do you truly fear God? A lot of times, it could be little subtle things. I'll have to ask myself, man, do I, do I truly fear God in this, or do I fear man? I ask myself this question very often when I'm trying to share my faith with someone. God, do I fear you or do I fear what this person thinks about me? Do I fear if I have the right answers or the wrong answers? Or God, do I fear you? I want to be obedient to you. It says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments is what Solomon said. And in your three questions, I want you guys to talk about how you fear the Lord, or what does that look like in your life? How have you drifted from that? And lastly, I want you to spend some time talking about man's eternal home and your confidence in that. Take 15 minutes or so, and we'll, we'll come back together at the end. All right, guys, hopefully um, I gave you a little bit more than 15 minutes uh, at your tables. Before I close this out tonight, I want to talk about our next series right here. Um, I have these on your tables and on your way out, as well as most of these will be, if we have your address, we will be sending these to your house uh, in December, just as a reminder, and I will email um, you guys about two weeks prior to, or two weeks before uh, when the study starts. And the Work in Progress series 
is hopefully um, going to be helpful to you because all of us are what? A work in progress. And we're going to look at 10 different topics uh, about areas that we struggle with. Um, in Philippians 1.6, it says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to, the, to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And I know for, for us, there's an aspect of where there's certain things that you struggle with where if we're not careful, what? It's just a struggle. Next thing you know, five years later, ten years later, oh, that's just something I struggle with. That's just something I struggle with. Or, ah, yeah, I'm just always angry. I'll just always be angry. Oh, I struggle with purity. I'll just always struggle with this. Or, oh, I struggle with commitment. That's just, that's just me, man. It's just who I am. Well, if we're following Christ, hopefully we grow and that we become less and less angry or whatever the case, whatever the topic is we're going to cover. And we're going to be talking about how we have scars in our past. We're going to be talking about how uh, we're not strong. We need to rely on the Lord's strength. We're going to be talking about purpose again. We're going to be talking about anxiety and things like that to where a lot of us, if you're like any other guy, you're taking one step forward, two steps back, right? One step forward, three steps back, and you believe the lie that you are the only person who ever struggles with anything and everyone else is Jesus walking on water but you. And so, uh, hopefully, hopefully, the series will be impactful to you and helpful to you. Um, will you take your Bibles, if you got them in front of you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, tonight. And I was going back and forth on this, but I think it's necessary to read this one. Uh, but it says in Psalm 112.1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. It says in Psalm 147.11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. I don't even know how many verses there are on fearing the Lord. There are just so many verses or passages about fearing the Lord. And I could not think of a better one to end this series on, end tonight. I'm going to read a, a pretty lengthy passage right here, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. Um, I think it's necessary just because when we talk about wisdom, and we talk about fearing God, and we can read these verses, we can seek after wisdom through, through Ecclesiastes and Solomon, but if it does not point us back to Christ, it's a swing and a miss every time. And so Paul is addressing this is issue of foolishness and wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 21. I'm going to read straight through. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise in the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolishness, foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through folly, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly 
to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God, we come to you admitting that we, we don't have it all together, and we never will. And God, we are thankful, I am thankful, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. God, if anyone is in here and they are not certain of where their, their eternal home is, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you bother them? God, would you make them uncomfortable tonight to where they know they need to cry out to you and to have an eternal home in heaven and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior? And God, I am thankful that you chose the weak, that you look at those who are not of noble birth, who are not wise, who are not strong, and you do something in their life. God, I'm thankful that you used men like the disciples. Didn't know anything at all, what they were doing. No wisdom, no direction. And you said, I'm going to use you. So God, as we would ask, ask, Lord, that you would change the world one man at a time. God, would you help us to be in full submission to you? God, would you help us and myself to, to fear you? God, would my entire life, as it is under the microscope of you, would you help me to be in complete submission to you? God, all of us, all of us, would we fear you more than anything else? Anything facing us, anything in our future, in our present, God, would we look to you and know that you are in control, that we submit to Christ. And God, we look forward to the day when you will return. And we will say, King of kings and Lord of lords, and you will show up, and the trumpet will sound. And God, we thank you, and we look forward to that day that heaven is your idea, and we get to be home with you one day. We pray this, and all God's people said, Amen.